Coach, what was the, the biggest thing you took away from your, your first year at Mississippi State that you hoped to, I guess, build upon heading into year two? Yeah, I think the, uh, the biggest thing to me was the, the, the validation that uh, you know, it's the toughest conference in the country and that every single week uh, in practice, in games, in recruiting, that you got to be on your A game or you're going to have a chance not just to get beat, but to get beat bad. So I think that's the biggest thing from an X's and O's standpoint. And then as I mentioned in the main room, you know, the learning experience for me coming in and uh, kind of elevating the expectation level of one that was already elevated and create maybe a little bit of an unrealistic, you know, sense of what we needed to do last season and kind of keeping that stuff more in-house and, uh, you know, what we did and, you know, shoulda, coulda, woulda, and kind of the opinions that go along with that. And I think Plato said uh, opinions of medium between knowledge and ignorance, you know what I mean? And I, you know, I just, I should have done a better job there kind of managing some of that stuff and look back and wish I had done that a little, little bit differently, not changed what our expectation was, but kind of how we approached it. Okay, second row right in the middle. Coach, I don't know any team in the country hit the transfer market harder than you did. You got really? three, three, I don't know, three <laughs> grad transfers, and you have another transfer who could become eligible this year. Was that a plan coming out of signing day to be aggressive in the transfer market, or was it just a right place, right time kind of thing? I think it was a bit of a right place, right time thing. You know, every year you get 85 scholarships, and you kind of want to enter the post-signing day period with a few left over whether you can reward a walk-on with those scholarships or if a player becomes available, you know, that you have an opportunity to sign that makes you better. So I think it was, you know, a little bit of it being a new role and a little bit of it being a, you know, right place, right time thing. Right here in the front row. Uh, Drew DeArmond, WZZN Radio, Huntsville, Alabama. Coach, I know you talked about relationships with players and especially your previous stop at Penn State. Talk about deciding to bring Tommy Stevens in as a graduate transfer. And then, of course, you've got Keaton Thompson. But what was the thought behind bringing in Tommy in to compete? Yeah, which, you know, like Tommy and like Isaiah at receiver and like Corliss Waitman at punter, when you have an opportunity to bring in a player that's going to make the position, the side of the ball, and the team better, we explore all those opportunities. And uh, with what we need to do offensively uh, and balance out our attack and continue to run the game well but but improve the uh, efficiency and, and explosiveness of our pass game, you know, we felt that Tommy, you know, could help us there. and. Uh, you know, all the quarterbacks were communicated to, you know, once it once it was a, you know, realistic possibility. And, you know, they understand this is the SEC and, you know, we're not the only school in the country that's bringing in a graduate transfer quarterback and we're going to let the guys compete and, you know, the chips are going to fall where they may. But certainly Tommy's familiarity with us and the system, you know, that, that, that helps. To your right on the second row. Hey, Coach, how are hey, you? How are you, Richard? Um, how do you have to coach a player differently considering everything that is trending towards um, the player being able to make decisions? I mean, you've got the transfer portal. You've got the four games and retaining the red shirt. You've got even the possibility in the future of name and, and likeness. How do you – is do you change your approach whatsoever in terms of relating to a player and, and also recruiting? I think it comes down to education and options. You know, and, and all those things you want to make sure a uh, young man's making an informed decision, whether it be to enter the transfer portal or to come to your school, you know, and, and certainly uh, you, you want to help them make make a good decision. And uh, what was the second part again? One more time. I want to make sure I have it. I mean, all of it. Like, I mean, yeah. you've got names and likeness. You think yeah. about, I think the four games and the red shirt has been tremendous for the game, developing younger players as well. I think it becomes all-encompassing in a lot of ways that, that if 
if you don't have a plan going into it, you don't want to be retroactive. So what we do with the, the red shirt thing is we, and I learned this from Coach Franklin, you, you have, we call green light, yellow light, red light, where green light are, are true freshmen that you know that you're going to play, so you don't worry about the four game. Yellow light are guys that, that may uh, assume a significant role, and you kind of consider whether or not you're going to utilize the red shirt as the season progresses, and red light guys are developmental guys that you know you're not going to play them in any more than the four games. So every Sunday in the staff meeting, we have a list of our, our first-year players or guys who have not red shirted. We kind of categorize them there and, and – uh, you know, bringing out here from Penn State's really been, been good for us. Okay. Yes, man. Uh, to your left, front row. Hey, Coach. Michael Cobble from WBRZ in Baton Rouge. Just curious how much you got to work with Joe Brady and <laughs> what you saw of him. I, I loved uh, – well, you know, the, our time at Penn State, obviously, when Joe was, was our graduate assistant and worked with me specifically. But uh, he is a rising star in the profession. Obviously had a great season with the Saints. And combining the knowledge of you know of RPO based pass game, RPO based run game, with what we did in the pass game, and then adding that to Coach Payton stuff with the Saints, and you know I know Coach O has always been the kind of fan of the of the RPO stuff, but uh, Joe's going to do a great job with the pass game. I know, you know, you talk, you know, talk to him. The other, I mean, he's gonna, he's going to do phenomenal. He's going to be a he's going to be a great assistant coach at this level. He's eventually going to be a great coordinator, and I think he's a guy who has the tools to become a, a great college head coach as well. LSU fans should be excited about him because he's he's a he's a great young coach. Coach to your right, over against the wall. Hey, coach Michael Brand, Saturday Down South. Uh, Farad Green was just in here talking about. <clears throat> What you guys are working on is being more consistent on offense. You guys were kind of up and down last year. So what are the keys that you've been working on this offseason, heading into camp, to ensure that your offense is more consistent on a week in, week in out? Yeah, I think Broad hit the nail on the head. You kind of look at in our season, and there was a uh, kind of an odd cross-section of performance. You know, you look at our four wins in the SEC. You know, we scored 50 against Arkansas, 35 against uh, Ole Miss. And then we're in the high 20s against, you know, Auburn and Texas A&M. And then, you know, the, the, the four and, you know, I wake up in a cold sweat and it makes me want to puke thinking about those four games of how we performed offensively, you know, you know, didn't do well. And uh, you can't have games, you know, throughout the season, Kansas State, some of the other non-conference games and conference games where you're scoring 40 or 50. And then, you know, how the performances that we did against the four teams that, all finished in the top 10, all won 10 games, and all played New Year's Day's Bowl. So uh, we need to, like I said, continue to run the bell well, continue to – we need to improve the efficiency and explosiveness of our pass game. And I think that all, all of it ties together, not just doing the what's, but the how's and the why's. And I think year two in the system offensively will help our guys do that, and, and along with our job of putting them in a position to be successful. Coach right here in the middle again. Coach, with Keaton Thompson still having a red shirt, you're available. If he doesn't win the, the quarterback competition, has there been any talk about possibly taking a red shirt this year and remaining with the program beyond that? No, we, we have not kind of broached that. Yet. But we, we will come down the pike. But I, I think the big thing is, you know, I think they're both, they're both incredibly talented. Uh, as we mentioned upstairs, they, they both run the ball with similar effectiveness, both right around 8.0 or higher yards per carry guys. And it's going to come down to – Know which guy throws the ball better, so we'll see who wins a job and kind of make that contingency plan from there based on uh, who gets it. Coach, to your right against the wall, standing up. The last two seasons, Coach, I've had um, – sorry, I'm going to blow you. <laughs> last two seasons, um, I've had NFL people tell me, this is the year we're going to catch up to the RPO. Is there any concern that, they, that defenses do catch up to the RPO the way that they have the read, the run and shoot, and other offensive systems? 
Yeah, I think that's the fun part of the ever-evolving chess game of offense and defense that, you know, we started this thing a long time ago running it. And, uh, you know, the defense has kind of made their counter move. And you, you almost want it to be a, a virus that, you know, the, the strain always changes a little bit so that the antidote doesn't work. And, you know, the answer is playing a little bit of more man-free coverage and taking second and third level defenders out of conflict. And then the offense's response to that is, you know, having a, a three-step route built in where if they play that, you know, the RPO turns into a pass. So if you're asking, is there a concern from my standpoint of uh, defenses being able to completely negate the RPO offense, my, my short answer would be no. But I think just like anything, there's always going to be that give and take where, you know, defensive coordinators do a great job of, of stopping what's working well and offensive coordinators kind of changing what they do to, to make it work. Coach here to your left, second row. <clears throat> hey, Coach. Steve Schneider, WAFB Baton Rouge. One of your guys said you're a History Channel watcher or a history buff. Mm -hmm. I, I was just curious, other than maybe Bobby Bowden back in the 70s, uh, are you familiar with a team that has to play out of seven weeks, only one home game, and that's the LSU team that's coming in? And uh, what challenges does that present for a team? And do you remember anything like that? I can't say that I do. Uh, certainly it's going to be a challenge, not only whether you're playing at home or on the road, but, but that number on the road. And, you know, I think when you look at last year's uh, uh, record for us for home and on the road, we, we were 6-1 six, six and one at home and had a, had a one-touchdown loss to Florida. And, uh, you know, obviously the, the opposite ended out on the road. So I, I think, uh, you know, it's something that we're going to have to obviously do a better job of. And, uh, you know, kind of rally the troops and get to doing what we're doing. But playing on the road is something in year two that we're obviously going to have to do better. Coach, to your right by the camera. Hey, Coach. McKinsey I'm McKenzie. Salmon, Ledger. With so many young, talented faces coming in this season, have you seen any of the older players, one in specific, taking on that leadership role? Um, I, I think our two captains have done a really nice job, uh, Errol and Daryl. Uh, you know, Farad is a guy that guys look up to who's played a lot of football for us. You know, Willie Gage has done a really good job with leadership. And um, kind of as we talked about a little bit in there, it's it's I'm seeing a unique um, blend of leadership and receptiveness to leadership, and, and I think that's a common trait on successful football teams where guys aren't worried about themselves. And, and and I know in this day and age, with young kids and kind of being called out in front of your peers, that's not always the best thing. But I think from our off-season workouts and what we've been hearing from Coach Corey is. If a guy's not touching the line, if a guy's not giving great effort and not doing the things that we think are necessary from a, an intangible standpoint, that it's not, hey, worry about you. I've got this covered. It's, hey, you know what? They're right. And when the, the culture takes over, and it's not the coaches correcting the players, but the players doing it, it becomes self-perpetuating. And, and I think the year two at the places I've been, you, you kind of see that. And, and the more that it becomes the players leading rather than the coaches and the players being receptive to that leadership, I think the better we'll be. Coach over here to your left at the camera bank. Hey, Coach Jacques Doucet, WAFB-TV in Baton Rouge. Is the stress of the SEC causing you to lose weight? You look a little thinner than the last time we saw nah, you. Two, two things. Uh, one, I was, like I said, tired of the recruits asking if I played right or left tackle when I played quarterback. <laughs> and uh, really it comes down to just old school. I'm the youngest of three. My, my mom, God bless her soul, but the next thing I do wrong will be the first thing I do wrong in her eyes. So they came down to the Outback Bowl. Uh, we got back home. 
And uh, I had been up to about 295 at that point. And when mom says, honey, do you think maybe you should start watching what you eat a little bit, a little bit worried about your health, that's when it was time to take a good hard look in the mirror and start cutting some calories. So I, I thank my mom for that because uh, I'm down about 55 now. So feeling feel a lot better. You might be the first person to move to the South and lose weight. No, it didn't, <laughs> well, it didn't happen that way. I got introduced uh, last year to you know, gas station chicken and, you know, everything and bacon. And we kind of went over that. But uh, that got me from 250 to 295. Now I'm back on the other end of that yo-yo. Second row on the end, please. Hey, Joe. Matt Baker with the Tampa Bay Times. Hey, Matt. Um, another transfer portal question. But has the portal and making it easier to transfer in the college level, has that affected at all how you recruit uh, high school players, doing any more looking at maybe high school guys who have transferred and that sort of thing? It has not. And, and I think... The issue of playing time is going to remain constant and it's not going anywhere. And young men who choose to come to your school, they're going to have four to five years uh, to achieve their individual goals, to help you achieve your team goals, and to hopefully have the opportunity to play at the next level. And I think the big thing that we're confident about in our recruiting model is we don't change who we are. It's not a bait and switch that we act one way to the kids you know, during the recruit process and they get here and we're, we're, we're somebody completely different. Now, there's never going to be 120 guys in your program, 85 on scholarship. You know, they're all not going to like their amount of playing time. So, you know, some of them are going to want to explore other opportunities to, to uh, put themselves in a situation that they think is best for them. And, you know, there, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, so I, I think if you stay consistent in your approach throughout the recruitment process, then when you get them on campus, you treat them the same way like you would want someone to treat your son if they went to play for a head coach. I think it minimizes, you know, some of, some of those issues, but it's, it's never going to, it's never going to fix a kid who wants to go play and he's, he's stuck on the depth chart or, you know, he's not getting a lot of burn. You know, that, that's, you know, it's made it, you know, uh, uh, I'll say readily, readily available for a guy to explore those options. Close to your left over here on the front row, and then we'll finish with two over here. Hey, Coach. All right. Uh, what went into the decision-making process to bring Errol Thompson here? Uh, what does he mean to this Mississippi State program, and what are some expectations and goals you have for him in the year ahead? Yeah, um, you know, the decision-making was pretty easy. We brought, you know, our two, our two team captains, and then we brought Farad, who, who's a, an in-state guy who's played a lot, of, a lot of football for us in critical junctures. And you know, like I said, er, Errol's a guy, when you, you look at a guy who does it right in the classroom, a guy who does it right in the community, comes to our, all of our different, you know, kind of outings that we have as a team. Uh, a guy who doesn't just talk to talk, but he walks a walk. And he, he's not a huge vocal guy, but uh, he, he's kind of one of those ones where, uh, you know, in a lot of ways like Jeffrey, that, that he picks his moments, and when he raises his voice, you know it's time to listen. So I think he's a guy that combines tremendous tangible skill with intangible skill. I expect him to be, you know, an all-SEC player. And, you know, when his time comes, whether it's at the end of this season or the season after, he's going to make a heck of an NFL player. Standing up, Coach, in the back on the right. Coach, can you take us into the rivalry with Ole Miss? Uh, I know those of us that don't live in the state of Mississippi don't get to see it 365, 24-7, yeah. but what is that rivalry like? And then can you do something to maybe add, put water on it as to not put gasoline on it? Yeah, it's intense now. Uh, and that, that's, you know, coming from, you know, Penn State pit and growing up with the backyard brawl pit West Virginia but uh you know this is it's unique and kind of like you know Tyler asked about you know first year's experience I don't think you know what it is until you're in it uh 
and, and certainly out of the utmost respect for Coach Luke and his program and the staff, and Coach and I get along, we get along fine. Uh, and I think the way that you kind of, like you said, don't pour gasoline on a fire that's already burning hot. You don't, you don't want to do anything to increase the inflammatory rhetoric leading up to the game. If for 364 days you're going to compete with them recruiting, they're going to compete with them during the practice week, and then the game comes, you play hard as, hard as heck and compete between the whistles and keep it there. And, uh, you know, and, and, and I'm not going to – I think we're all naive to believe that we're going to hold hands around the campfire and sing Kumbaya. It ain't happening. I mean, it's not. I mean, it's just – you can't have it both ways. It can't be a rivalry and, you know, everyone kind of – know be civil in that regard it's going to be what it is but at the same time I think we can do our part as coaches and players to make sure that the intensity of it is is between the whistles and not after the whistles or before or after the game coach up front here to your right you've mentioned receptiveness to leadership a few times how do you identify that and guys you bring into your program and if someone does reject your culture is there a way to force someone to grow into that I think if it's a if it's a young guy, uh, you know, you just like we mentioned the race, you just got to continue to educate them. And, and I think you know I meet I you know meet with the captains and talk to them on the phone and say hey you know how are workouts going this week. And I think it, it more comes from the players than it does from from the coaches. And I think p- part of the challenge of of uh, taking over a program that had, had achieved levels of success, you know, maybe not necessarily a championship, but you know eight straight bowls and this year was our ninth year that they're guys who had been in, ingrained in a certain style of uh, uh, kind of uniformity or, or what was expected and you come in and not necessarily that, that the way you're doing it is better but it's just different and, and, and I think that like I said year two year three year four it, it becomes less about what the coaches are saying and how they want it done and what the expectation level is and it's more of, hey, this is what we do in the program, and the players are, are, are policing it. And I, and I think, you know, there's a guy who's completely resistant. And when I was at Fordham, we had a guy come in to speak. His name was, I think, Jeff Jansen. Mm-hmm. And he, ta- it's, he, he runs the Leadership Institute. And there's a thing called the Commitment Continuum. And at the bottom end of it, it's re- resistant, reluctant, compliant, uh, existent, committed, compelled. And when you have guys that are on the tail end of that and they're resistant, you know, no matter what a coach or a player says, you know, they're, they're going to do it their way and they're not going to listen. Those are usually guys that end up, you know, not being a part of your program. But as many guys as you, you can get on the team that are, that are existing, committed, or compelled, you know, that's when you usually end up having a pretty good team. Coach, I think his first name was Jeff. It was definitely Jansen, though. I'm sorry. Your final question up here on the podium. Um, Rashad now Alabama News Network, in Montgomery. How you doing, Rashad? Doing well. You have a year on your belt in Starksville. Um, just talk about How's the cowbells and how does that make communication for you and how do you feel about it? I love it. Like Saturday Night Live, more cowbell. Uh, but uh, <laughs> no, I, I wear a double headset, so I, I really don't hear it unless I kind of take it off. But I think, uh, you know, that's what makes college football a little bit unique and a little bit different than maybe the NFL game that you go to the different stadiums, you go to the different places, and there are unique traditions. And I think that the cowbells at Mississippi State are something that, you know, certainly uh, something that our fans and our players identify with, something that makes it a very difficult place for us to play. And uh, I've signed enough of them. So uh, I, I think it's cool. I love it. And I, like I said, it's one of those kind of unique things about college, college football that makes our game special.